Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to First Kings. Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, in his daily podcast briefing, said this past Wednesday these words. One of the dreams of the Enlightenment, one of the dreams of the modern age, has been a cosmopolitan regime of enduring peace. Now, we are to seek peace, we are to pray for peace, but the reality is that in a fallen and fractious world, peace is often illusory, and it's almost always temporary. But as you're thinking about this enlightenment dream, you need to understand that people really believed, particularly the more liberal wing of the enlightenment, beginning in the 18th century and beyond, really did believe that reason, that human reason could be deployed to prevent human violence. That if people just had enough information, or if they were just met with sufficient rational arguments, if a regime of rational people could be put in control, then violence could be restrained and peace could be found among nations. Moeller continues, now that wasn't true in the 18th century, it wasn't true in the 19th century. There was a period of peace in Europe during those years, but the reality is that by the time you come to the end of the 19th century, it is clear that there is no perpetual peace. It is an illusion. By the time you get to the 20th century, it's a murderous, even genocidal illusion. But you see the illusion come up again and again and again. Close quote. Particularly when we bring up the idea of peace, peace in the Middle East, peace in Israel, many of us will agree peace seems like an intangible illusion. Decades, perhaps centuries of ongoing geopolitical, religious, and economic tensions and disputes has characterized the region. Due to the complex web of multifaceted challenges, to talk of peace in the Middle East seems like a far-fetched dream. But in our passage today, we learn of a time when Israel had peace, when there was neither adversary or misfortune, when God had given rest to Israel on every side. And so the question for us today, as we see terrible bloodshed and war between Israel and Hamas today, and competing nations raging against one another, as we see political riots and divisions in our own land against those who support Israel or Palestine, we wonder if peace is ever again possible in that land. Hence the question, what does peace require? And what does peace produce? And what does peace under Solomon's reign teach us today? We're continuing our study through First and Second Kings in our series, The King of Kings. And as I have said, the Kings is about the short-lived, peaceful reign of the United Kingdom of Israel under King Solomon and her eventual division, downfall, decimation, and exile. But as I have repeated, the message of the Kings is clear. Kings fail and kingdoms fall, but the word of the Lord stands. As Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So brothers and sisters, I want you to be reminded, even through defeat, God keeps his covenant promise to his people 
and establishes the throne of David's offspring forever. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this will be an encouraging word to you, that even in the midst of chaos, we can hope in God's promises to us. His king sovereignly reigns. His king is in power. He is in control. Last week from 1 Kings 3 and 4, we saw how God blesses his king with wisdom beyond all human kings, wisdom to execute justice, wisdom to govern, and wisdom to bring peace upon the land. And in today's passage, in 1 Kings 5, we see how in this time of peace, God allows Solomon to accomplish his purpose in fulfilling his promise to David that David's offspring will build God's temple. But we know that the Bible is not merely a historical account of Israel's history. We know that it tells of a deeper, greater story of God's redemption of his people through his promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. So from 1 Kings 5, I want to share with you how God accomplishes his purposes through the king. So three points. Point number one, God grants peace because of the king. Verses 1 through 5. Point number two, God builds his house through the king. Verses 6 through 12. And point number three, God ordains faithful service to the king. Verses 13 through 18. God grants peace because of the king. God builds his house through the king. And God ordains faithful service to the king. And brothers and sisters, I pray through this message, you'd be encouraged afresh that even in seasons of dire distress and anxiety, that you would know as long as the king sits on the throne, you can have peace. That he is at work to accomplish his purposes through his church. I pray that this message will stir you up afresh to keep serving the Lord with gladness and faithfulness today. Guests and visitors, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for our weekly Sunday gathering. We have been praying for you, praying that the Lord would lead you here this afternoon to hear his words. We pray that as you hear his words that you would find peace. Peace with God. Peace for all the crazy stuff that's going on around us. And peace in your hearts and minds. Not fake, illusionary peace, but true lasting peace in him. Peace that is only available in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's turn now to his word found on page 284 of the Blue Bibles around you. And as you turn there, I want to encourage you, please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration as I read and preach. Often, as you know, this is God's word for you to grow you in faith and in knowledge of him. And since it's a shorter passage today, let's read the entire passage, which says this. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. When he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary or misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to my father David, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build a house for my name. Now therefore command that the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I'll pay you for your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. 
And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by the sea to put the place you direct. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired, while Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram ear by ear. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month, in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hill country. Besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command, they queried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with breast stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gabal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. Amen. How does God accomplish his purposes? Point number one, God grants peace because of the king, verses one through five. As we have read from last week's passage from 1 Kings 3 and 4, we saw how the wisdom God granted King Solomon had a tremendous effect, not only in Israel, but all throughout the land surrounding it. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, it said this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and the wisdom of all of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men. And skipping down to verse 34 in chapter 4, it says, All the people and the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. You see, it was as if God's promise to Abraham and Jacob in Genesis 12 and 28 and 32 that God would make his offspring as the sand of the sea spreading abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and that in them and in their offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed was being fulfilled in Solomon, David's promised heir. And so we see neighboring kings and nations benefiting and being blessed from King Solomon's wise reign, so much to the point that the once enslaved nation of Israel became a global political superpower, as well as the central hub of knowledge and culture, as we see in the final verses of chapter 4. And so we see King Hiram of Tyre as one of Israel's neighboring kingdoms, seeking to reestablish partnership with the new king of Israel, Solomon, by sending his servants, by sending his dignitaries, to send congratulations at Solomon's coronation. Look at verse 1. It says this, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. King Hiram had a previous close partnership and friendship with Solomon's father, King David, as verse 1 states, for Hiram always loved David. And we know from 2 Samuel 5, the way King Hiram specifically helped and supported King David was by providing him with cedar trees and carpenters and, and masons to help build David's house. 
And so Solomon's request in verses 2 and 3 makes sense, which says this, And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God, because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. You see, King Hiram was well acquainted with David's desire to build God a temple, as according to 1 Chronicles 17. But as our sister Sue read, God's will was not for David, but for his offspring to do so. So turn with me there real quick to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22, which can be found on page 351 of the Blue Bibles. 1 Chronicles, leave your finger in 1 Kings 5 and then flip over to 1 Chronicles 22, verses 8 through 10. Let me just read another account for you. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. And David had told Solomon of his purpose to do so, even at Solomon's young age, even before Solomon was established as king. So look at First Chronicles, the same chapter, verses 11 through 13, which says, Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he had spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. And a few verses above it, in that same chapter in verse 5, it says this, For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparations for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. So now flip back to 1 Kings 5, page 284. And so it's almost as if, from what we just read, it is Solomon's entire purpose for his kingship to build God a temple in accordance with his father's wishes and his father's preparation and partnership. And Solomon recognizes the peace his kingdom was experiencing was from the Lord for this very purpose. So look at verse 4 through 5 in chapter 5 again. It says this, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build a house for my name. As I mentioned in the intro, this was an incredible time for Israel, unprecedented in history past and never as such in history future. It was a time of peace. It was a time of fortune for Israel. Now, as I said, the kings is not merely a historical account of Israel's kings. There is a deeper, greater purpose. And I think from these verses, it's teaching us, firstly, that it is God who establishes peace because of his king. Listen, brothers and sisters, Israel had only known war under King Saul and under King David, internal and external. But peace came in Solomon, the king of peace, 
the Shalom king. The end of verse 3 and verse 4 emphasizes this truth. Because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. That it was the Lord my God, as Solomon says, who has given me rest on every side. Now, what these verses mean to show us is that if the Lord can grant peace once, he can grant peace again. And so secondly, I think that's the bigger purpose and lesson of these verses, is that God can and will grant such peace once again because of his king. We're not going to go there just yet, but again, Solomon's reign is a foreshadowing of the greater Solomon and the greater lasting peace that will come through God's king. How although Solomon's peace is a glimpse, just a taste of God's promise to David coming into fruition, the point is that a greater fulfillment of God's promise of peace is coming because of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We're going to go a bit deeper there in a bit, but notice how Solomon says in verse 3, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God. But in verse 5, Solomon says, And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. Brothers and sisters, guests and visitors, don't miss this important but subtle lesson. Unless Yahweh, God, is your own personal God, His peace will never be your peace. His purposes will never be your purposes. His promises will never be your promises until God becomes your own personal God. He has no obligation to owe you anything. Peace is not owed to you. Peace is not owed to us. Protection is not owed to you. Blessings are not owed to you. Nothing is owed to you from God. As long as you remain a stranger to the king, only justice and sufferings of this broken world are rightly yours. Isn't this true? Only as citizens of a country we experience its benefits. Earthly kings and presidents and governments have shown us over and over again. And these verses confirm, just as the king is, just as the king reigns, peace comes because of the king. More importantly, don't miss the lesson. Peace is granted from God. Peace comes from God. The last phrase of verse 3 is really interesting, isn't it? Until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. Because it's a verse that is used in multiple places in Scripture. In context, it's talking about how God gave peace by the time of Solomon's reign because God had put David's and Israel's enemies under the soles of his feet. But this same phrase is used in Psalm 110.1. And that verse is quoted in the gospel multiple times. Matthew 22.44, Mark 12.36, Luke 20.42 and in Acts 2, 34 and 35, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. And the purpose of it and the point of it is to point to a greater king who is not merely the offspring of David, but David's Lord and David's Christ, the promised Messiah King. Simply, brothers and sisters, what these verses are telling us is that peace is granted by the Lord because of God's King. And as Solomon, the next king, the offspring of David, brings temporary peace to the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ, the true promised Messiah king, the offspring of David, brings true lasting peace for true Israel, the God's elect in the future coming forever kingdom of God. 
Brothers and sisters, in this time of war surrounding the nation of Israel, how might we Christians pray for God's once chosen nation, that people from that nation would look to Christ as the greater Solomon and invite his peace. Amen? That they would call on David's Lord and David's Christ as not somebody else's God, but their own God. Brothers and sisters, that is our prayer for them. But that should also be our own prayer. Peace comes from God through the king. In the chaos of life, in the storms of life, rest and peace of the king comes through Jesus Christ, the greater Solomon. As it says in John 14, 27, as Jesus says himself, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is offering peace to us. Amen? So do you have the peace of Christ this afternoon? As you look at all the things that are going on around the world, as you are persevering through all the things that are going on in your life, have you embraced the peace of Christ that he has extended to you? Or are you looking to the things of this world? Are you looking to the circumstances? Are you looking at your heart? Are you looking at your past failed experiences and becoming discouraged? Jesus is inviting you. He has given you peace. My peace I have given to you. Receive it. Live by it. Own it. Let's move on to our second point. How does God accomplish his purposes? God builds his house through his king from verses 6 through 12. Not only does God grant his peace because of the king, God builds his house through the king. Now verses 6 through 11 are the contractual negotiations and agreement and the subsequent treaty between Solomon and Hiram. You'll notice some friendly bantering and some ego stroking going on between the kings. At the end of verse 6, Solomon says, For you know there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. And Hiram responds, as it says in verse 7, He rejoiced greatly. Why? Yes, we are the best. That's how he's responding. And so he says, because he's so happy, We will cut for you our best cedar. But not only that, also our great cypress trees. But not only that, we will offer full service. We will Amazon Prime it for you and deliver them for you straight to your doors. That's verse 9. And as such, the terms were settled. Hiram's trees for Solomon's wages. And you'll see down in verse 13 and 14, there must have been some negotiations because although Hiram had offered full service to cut down the trees and deliver the resources straight to Solomon's door, Solomon sends his own workers for the job. Either way, verse 12 tells us, look at verse 12, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. One brief observation, and then the point of these verses. First, the observation. In verse 7, you see that Hiram rejoiced greatly at Solomon's terms and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. To give you a simple explanation, this does not mean Hiram, a foreign king, became a worshiper of Yahweh. It does not mean Hiram was converted as a result of King David and King Solomon's witness of Yahweh. That would be speculation. But everything about the structure of these verses, as well as the thrust of the passage, shows God's sovereign hand working through Solomon and Hiram simply lends his service to God's grand plan. Hiram is simply being used by God in a good way. Hiram had nothing to complain about, you see. He got to export his goods and he got paid for it. His kingdom was in good partnership with a neighboring superpower. Hiram and Tyre was the second-hand recipient 
of God's blessing, his king, Solomon. One quick application for us. How might our neighbors be blessed and rejoice in our God and king when we operate with God's wisdom to accomplish his purposes in our lives? When we negotiate with wisdom rather than undercutting others? When we recruit the help of others to accomplish God's purposes in our lives? I think these verses are a challenge for our young church, New Covenant Baptist, to continue our efforts to reach out to the community around us. A couple weeks ago, I was attending the Garden Church in Baltimore at their building dedication service a few weeks ago with uh, Josh Ardos, and I was so encouraged by their testimony of God's faithfulness, testified part of the reason why they believe the Lord provided for their new building, raising up millions of dollars, is because Garden Church had become an invaluable resource for their community. They could have easily just left that community and, and rented somewhere else, but they chose to stay and pray that the Lord would provide a building. Their church was woven into the life of the community because they came to it and the community benefited from it. And the community became to rejoice greatly and bless God because of it. And so when I got to share why I was attending there, taking turns uh, asking why you are here today, I shared that because I love Garden Church and Pastor Joel Kurz and because I want our church, New Covenant Baptist Church, to become like them when we grow up. Amen? Brothers and sisters, in 10 years, I want New Covenant Baptist Church to be an invaluable resource for the community of Southern Montgomery County. Don't you? I don't want to be an insular church. I want to be a community church where unbelievers come, where the needy and broken and the poor in spirit come and are blessed and rejoice and bless God because of our gospel ministry. Which is the reason why I pray so fervently for God to grant us a permanent home. Amen? Will you join me? New Covenant family, that God would grant us a permanent home soon so that we can have vacation Bible school for the neighborhood children, hallelujah nights as a better substitute for Halloween, and whatever else the Lord would have us in equipping and training men and women to become faithful disciples of Christ. Let's pray for it regularly. Let's pray for it fervently. Let's pray for it expectantly. Amen? Moving on to the point of these verses, the point is that God orchestrates even the most minutest details to build his house through a king. Again, we could talk about the historical details of political partnership between Solomon and Hiram, but the greater purpose is theological. It's a foreshadowing of God's prophecy of a greater king and a greater kingdom to come. Just do a word search on the cedars of Lebanon and you'll see what I mean. But let me read you one passage, Isaiah 60, 12 through 14, which says this, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The cypress, the plan, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despise you shall bow at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Brothers and sisters, the prophecy of Isaiah was written before the kings. But it was not a prophecy about Solomon's temple. It was a prophecy about the greater temple that will be built, the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Ultimately, Solomon's temple that will be built would merely be a foreshadowing of Jesus, the greater temple. 
In John 2, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, destroy this temple, referring to the second temple that was built in Israel after the exile. And he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. You see, the people mistakenly thought Jesus was talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus was referring to his own body as the temple. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in your midst? Paul was teaching that collectively the people of God who believe and follow Jesus are like the temple where God resides with Jesus as the cornerstone, as according to Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22. Let me just read those verses to you. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 says this, Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All to say again, Solomon's great temple, and great it will be, as we'll read in the next chapter. But Solomon's great temple was just a whisper of the greater temple that we've built through God's Messiah King, Jesus the Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Brothers and sisters, I pray these verses will challenge you to build not up houses of sand which will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 3.12 and on says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the word that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Simply what it's saying, what that verse is saying, is at the end of days, everyone's work will be shown and revealed. If it lasts, if it survives, great, you're doing good work. If it burns up, you know that you're building your own houses. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question to challenge you from the word. What foundation are you building on? The firm foundation of Christ or upon your own foundations? 1 Corinthians 3.18 and on says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is to follow God. Simply, friends, Solomon's example shows us even the wisest of kings is a mere shadow of the truly wise king of kings. Don't rely on your own wisdom, but on Jesus Christ. Rely on his word. Trust in his truths. Which leads us to our final point. How do we do this? How do we rely on his words? How do we trust in his truths more specifically? So third and finally, how does God accomplish his purposes? Point number three, God ordains faithful service to the king. God ordains faithful service to the king from verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18 talks about the men who were drafted into forced labor out of Israel. 30,000 men, 10,000 a month in shifts, 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters, 3,300 chief officers who are over the work and charge the people to carry out the work. Now, if you recall, this is exactly what Prophet Samuel had warned Israel as they sought for a human king. So back in 1 Samuel 8, verses 11 through 12, Samuel warns Israel, 
These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. Well, although Solomon's forced labor is not as quite as elaborate as the verse that I just read, we will see later in 1 Kings 12 that the people of Israel will grow weary of Solomon's labors. As it says in 1 Kings 12, 4, Israel saying to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, Your father Solomon made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke upon us, and we will serve you. So we know that Israel grows disgruntled by the heavy yoke of Solomon later. Well, in these verses, the people of Israel are not there yet. They serve, at least as the verses do not indicate explicitly, they serve with efficiency and they do great work to build Solomon's temple for God. There is orderly service under the wise and peaceful reign of God's chosen king. Well, again, Solomon's peaceful reign is a picture of a coming greater reign of Christ, the king of kings. Because we will see that although Solomon was the chosen king, again and again we'll come upon this very fact that he was not the obedient king. Uh, As he strays more and more from God's word, the peace of God will grow faint and the people of God will grow weary. A few weeks ago, I made a small error challenging you to not build on your own houses, but to build upon the house of Christ. And I apologize, that was theologically wrong for me to say. Correctly, as Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, and as Pastor Jeremy corrected me, this is why we all need feedback, we do not build, create, or establish the kingdom of God. We do kingdom work. We live by kingdom values. We announce the kingdom good news. But the kingdom itself is God's gift to simply receive. Close quote. As such, brothers and sisters, Solomon's peaceful reign, at least for the time being, again, foreshadows the joyful, orderly service rendered unto the king by his people. As Colossians 2.17 says, these are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we know that what we see in Solomon points to a greater reality in Christ. As 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. As Ephesians 6.7 says, With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. And as Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartedly as for the Lord rather than for men. Jesus says in John 5.17, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And James 2.17 says, Faith without works is dead. Brothers and sisters, as citizens of Christ's kingdom, are you working wholeheartedly for the Lord? Are you doing kingdom work? Are you living by kingdom values? Are you proclaiming kingdom news? Brothers and sisters, the greatest news of Christ, that the Holy God sent his one and only son for sinners like you and me to live the sinless life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died. He died for us as our substitute, to take upon himself the wrath and punishment of God that we would have suffered in eternal hell. But we know that Jesus didn't remain dead, don't we? That he rose again from the grave on the third day, proving that he is God's promised Messiah King, in whom God would grant his peace, in whom God would build his house, in whom God would ordain holy service, in order that we would experience abundant, blessed life of strength and assurance and hope and joy in this life, and eternal life forever with him and all who love and fear his name. Guests and visitors, if you are here and you are not a Christian or not sure that you are, 
Here is God's invitation for you. Receive God's king, the prince of peace. Friend, Jesus is the reason we can have peace with God. We can have peace in the world, and you can have peace in your own hearts and minds. So receive his peace. Join his kingdom. Surrender in joyful, purposeful service to him who will endlessly supply all his goods for your service, for your faithful service and perseverance. All you have to do is repent of your sins, acknowledge and confess that you need him, his forgiveness. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you and trust him for today and tomorrow and forevermore. Dear NCBC family, are you again participating in the work of his kingdom or are you building your own kingdom? The Lord has called you to this church to work together wholeheartedly in service for the king. Are you slaving away thinking that you are building Christ's kingdom when such building is not required of you at all. You have nothing to prove to God. You are already justified in Christ. The building of Christ's kingdom has already been established. You only need to enter in and be built up by him. For those of you who are faithfully and sacrificially committing to the work of Christ, thank you so much. I know that there are so many of you in this church. So many of you are so generously and selflessly serving God and serving others through this church body. And I pray that this word will encourage you and build you up today because this word is a reminder that he is sovereign, that he is reigning perfectly, that he knows and cares for you, that he sees you and is providing for you. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. In him is the greater peace. In him is the greater temple. In him is the more purposeful work. May we together spur one another for his glory and for the advancement of his gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder that peace is only granted through your son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, what a privilege and humbling reminder and joy that we have been built on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, to advance your kingdom, your gospel by Christ and the work that he has done and he is doing among us. Father, help us to not be mere spectators, but help us to be participants. Help us to faithfully serve you and work as unto the Lord to build your eternal kingdom that you may be glorified and that more and more people may join in. Father, thank you for this church. Father, we are in the midst of some dire requests for you to provide for us a new temporary home. Father, we pray that you would provide and grant the desires of our heart and our request so that we may continue to testify of your glorious gospel. We love you. We thank you for this reminder and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.